On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. We didn't know we could make this change so quickly. We didn't know we could go from manufacturing product A to product B. It really was kind of exciting. Iowa manufacturers have undergone a multi-stage process this year, adapting to and recovering from the pandemic. Today's hybrid work environment is impacting the information technology industry in a variety of ways. And you'll hear about a business that is working with two Iowa universities to get a COVID vaccine to the marketplace. This is the Iowa Business Report for the third weekend of November 2020. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry has been the voice of Iowa business since 1903. Learn more online at iowaabi.org. Here is Jeff Stein. Remember back to March of this year? We had heard a little about a virus, but had no idea of how extensive the impact of COVID-19 would be on all aspects of our lives. Among the unique success stories over that time has been the work done by Iowa's manufacturers in responding to the pandemic. Mike Ralston is president of the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. We started hearing about it from members because they had problems with supply chain or customers were canceling orders, that sort of thing. And so you're right, then in the succeeding months, there, there really was a series of events that happened and a series of things that manufacturers brought to us. And we saw seven things really for manufacturers in these past eight months. And the first, far and away, the most important was uh, the first thing we heard from manufacturers was help us take care of our employees and their safety. They were really concerned about keeping people on the job, making sure they didn't catch something that they took home to their families, that sort of thing. And so manufacturers did a number of things that were really tough. They, they uh, you know, if you're in an office, you maybe have an opportunity to work remotely. If you're on a production line, it's hard to do that remotely. So uh, manufacturers put in barriers, uh, plexiglass barriers where they could between workstations. They distanced workstations if they could. Uh, they mandated masks on the production floor. And then they uh, utilized alternate shifts if they could, anything that would reduce the number of people in a given area. And they started doing that kind of thing back in March right away. Then our next big thing we heard from folks, and this probably was mid-April, we want to keep operating. Other states are shutting down. We're hearing about troubles in other states and their shutdowns. We want to make sure we stay in operation or we have the opportunity to. And that's where we work with state policymakers, the governor and others. And they've been stalwart. Now, the governor certainly has. And so have policymakers in both parties about keeping manufacturers operating as long as they can do it safely. The next thing we heard at the end of April or early May was supply chain issues. Boy, we usually get our product that we put into our product from somebody in Massachusetts and they're shut down, they can't produce, and so now we can't get it. Or we get it from overseas, we really can't get it. And so then we had to deal with those sorts of issues. The good news was that uh, folks and I were mainly able to deal with that. Then next in uh, late May and early June, capital liquidity was the big thing. Hey, our business is off. We need capital continue to stay in operation. That's about the time the federal government passed the Paycheck Protection Program. A number of Iowa businesses uh, looked into that. Many of them ultimately chose not to participate, but it was there, and that was a big deal. We were able to find other more traditional sources of credit and capital for members, and so that was great. Okay, now we're into June, and uh, PPE, personal protective equipment, became an issue. And so we had a number of members who were looking at how can we retool 
to manufacture PPE. And Jeff, you know, because you know how manufacturing works, retooling a production line is not an easy thing. It can be an expensive thing. It's hard to do, but a number of Iowa manufacturers retooled. I know of a company in North Central Iowa called High Capacity. They're in Humboldt and they work with tractor engines and metal. And instead they retooled their production line to begin to make gowns and face masks. And uh, that was pretty cool. We had others who retooled to make uh, plastic face shields or to make hand sanitizer. That all seemed to take place. And so the good news is that come uh, late in June or early July, now people are thinking, hey, we're making these products. We're going to add those to our production line. And so they had new sets of products that they brought on board. Not only does retooling take a lot of thought and typically take a fair amount of money, but normally you'd say it takes a lot of time. If someone came to one of these companies and said, we want to make this additional line, this entirely different product, I doubt that anyone on board would say, great, let's put it in place in two weeks. They would have said this is going to take years of study, et cetera, but yet they made it happen, and that's got to be inspirational for these folks. We've had the same experience with schools and virtual learning. They were able to do it when forced to. That's got to give these folks great inspirational thinking when it comes time to make adaptations that are not forced by a pandemic. (laughs) You're right. If I heard it once, I heard it a dozen times from manufacturers. We didn't know we could do this. We didn't know we could make this change so quickly. We didn't know we could go from manufacturing product A to product B. It really was kind of exciting. That's been great. I'll tell you, the latest thing that we've been hearing about and sort of the seventh thing that we see as a result of the pandemic is a real change when it comes to inventory management. You know about just-in-time inventory, and that's uh, obviously where a manufacturer doesn't want to uh, have a lot of capital tied up in inventory, whether it be stuff they need, whether it's resin for their plastic or steel for their uh, shed or whatever. They don't have a bunch of that sitting around. They want to use it when they need it, and they want to sell that product right away on the other end. Because of those supply chain issues we heard about where manufacturers couldn't get that resin or they couldn't get the steel or they couldn't get some other part, now it's changed. So no more just in time. Manufacturers are changing the inventory management on both ends. One, in the beginning, they're getting more inputs and keeping them in storage, keeping them on hand so that they have it when they need it to fill orders. And secondly, they're building up more inventory on the back end so that instead of just making something when they have an order, They have it already in hand made and manufacturers are ready to get out the door. So that's been a major, major change in the way uh, manufacturers, and of course, I'm generalizing. It certainly is not all manufacturers has changed that way, but a number of them have. But one thing you can say for all of them is if you have, I'll call them raw materials, sitting in a storage facility, you've had to expend working capital to have them there. And if you make a final product and simply store it, that's money that you put into a product. And until you sell it, you're not realizing any benefit. And so that's a whole sea change in terms of your business plan, because previously you didn't need to expend that money and have it tied up in either raw materials or finished inventory. That's going to change a lot of people's conversations with their bankers. Well, it is, and it has. And it's also changing their conversations with their vendors because uh, whereas, you know, they might have said, we need this and we're going to pay a premium to uh, get it here in a couple of days. Uh, if they do it right, at least they can avoid that premium payment to get it here in a couple of days because they've kept more of it on hand. But you're right. There's much more capital tied up in inventory than there was pre-pandemic. 
In fact, that's one of the changes we're seeing as a result of the pandemic. This change in inventory management has led to a change in the usage of capital. It's impacted cash flow, that sort of thing. For the most part, it's been positive. The reason they made this change is because it helps them manage their business better. So that's important. But that's certainly been a change that will last for a while, whether it is a permanent change, we don't know. But if the pandemic, we all hope it ends sometime in the second quarter 2021, I'll say, if we're lucky. I don't think this is going to change in 2021. It's going to be the place for a while. That's one thing, inventory management. Secondly, the big changes in new products and new practices. We mentioned the way companies have retooled. They're keeping those products in their production line, in their catalog of products. So that's been good. And lastly, the third big change is I think there's an even greater attention to health and safety management, the need to take care of employees. That can only be good. Mike Ralston, president of the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. We spoke via Zoom on Tuesday, November 17. More about the organization is online at iowaabi.org. Still to come, how cybersecure are you while working remotely? We have numbers. And partnering with Iowa researchers to get a vaccine to the public. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. A new report from email security company Tessian shows that 75% of information technology decision makers believe the future of work will be remote or hybrid, where employees choose to split their time between working in the office and working remotely. Employees seem to be in favor of a hybrid working structure in the future. In fact, only 11% of those surveyed said they'd want to work exclusively in the office post-pandemic. The average employee wants to work from home at least two days a week. Further, one-third of those responding said they would not consider working for a company if it did not offer remote working. But as we've mentioned before on this program, this could come at the expense of security. 85% of IT leaders believe permanent remote work will put more pressure on their teams. More than a third of those IT managers, 34%, are worried that their workers will be stretched too thin in terms of time and resources. 82% of the IT decision-makers think those working remotely are at greater risk of phishing attacks. And that's not an unrealistic fear because nearly that amount of employees, 78%, admitted they did receive a phishing email while working on their personal laptops during the first four months of the pandemic. Worse yet, 68% of those said they did click a link or download an attachment within that phishing email. Now, next week on this program, we'll talk with the author of a new book with tips on how to make working from home successful for both employers and employees. Coming up this week, we've heard a lot about a possible COVID-19 vaccine, and it could have a strong Iowa connection. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, helping develop the next generation of business leaders through Leadership Iowa, Business Horizons, and Leadership Iowa University. 
To learn more, go to iowaabi.org. In this week's business profile, I speak with Timothy Sullivan, president of Zateo Biomedical. The business is headquartered in Austin, Texas, but has a close connection with two Iowa entities, the Nano Vaccine Institute at Iowa State University and the University of Iowa. A partnership was announced this past week tied to a nasal COVID-19 vaccine to protect against pandemic virus threats. And as you'll learn, this could truly be a game changer. Zateo Biomedical is a company I founded, and I have a, another affiliated company that's a, a sort of my R&D business that's related. But we've been operating across those two businesses since 2003. Certainly not a new business to you. What led you to go into this field? Well, I'm uh, something of a serial entrepreneur, so I've started about a dozen businesses over the last 40 years, uh, all of them in uh, advanced technology areas. And I got interested in this in part because uh, I started tracking some opportunities in the drug delivery space, you know, some needs in the marketplace. And my innovation activities started around that, trying to identify ways to sort of advance the technology for packaging and delivering drugs into the body. So obviously, in the midst of a global pandemic, and something called Operation Warp Speed, there has been much more focus being put on such development. How has that impacted your company? It's been uh, sort of a double-edged sword. So we had um, projects going on in other sectors of the drug delivery space that slowed down because of uh, slowdowns in the industry, you know, uh, in the pharmaceutical space. However, we do have a fair amount of business in uh, the vaccine delivery space, right, and a focus in that. And so our expertise is in delivering drugs, vaccines into the body intranasally. And so that's our sort of principal focus. And that accelerated very dramatically, as you might expect. There's something like 128 companies that are around the world that are working on uh, different COVID uh, countermeasures, most of them vaccines. And actually, uh, 10 or 15% of them are being developed for nasal delivery. Now, your business is not based in Iowa, but you certainly have some very close Iowa connections at our Regents Institutions. Yeah, so we've been in a collaboration, a research consortium with Iowa State University for more than a decade. It's the Nano Vaccine Institute that's part of ISU. We began working with the Nano Vaccine Institute actually when it was it started out as an initiative eight or ten years ago. We were successful. Uh, our particular collaboration was successful in being awarded an NIH grant about a year ago to develop a nasally administered universal flu vaccine. And so that project is ongoing. And uh, just recently, that team expanded into the COVID space. What is it, do you think, about what your business offers that makes you the appropriate partner for the Institute at Iowa State and, separately, the projects that are at the University of Iowa? The work that's being done at these two institutions focuses around the development of a very novel form of vaccine. Um, They're actually developing a 
a vaccine platform, to a vaccine delivery platform from a formulation perspective. And we actually have a vaccine device platform. That's the other sort of half of the equation. Our technology is quite advanced as well. We offer technology that isn't generally available in the, in the general marketplace. Uh, and so the two, those two technologies work very well together. They're very symbiotic, which is sort of what the driver was for the relationship, is they needed us and we needed them. And quite obviously, you're the one that's providing the vehicle, if you will, the delivery mechanism, quite literally. What is it that, again, is unique about the technology that you all have developed that is going to help make this potentially more accessible to individuals? Vaccines traditionally have been formulated and are administered to people using syringes. That's been the way it's been done for many decades. Nasal delivery is relatively new. You can get a flu vaccine right now that's nasal, but it's rapidly expanding for several reasons. One is that nasal vaccines can be self-administered. Instead of having to go to a physician or a healthcare provider to get an injection or the pharmacy, you can do it yourself. And in a pandemic situation where you have to get very rapid deployment out to large populations, the ability to self-administer becomes a really critical component. And so our devices are designed, have been since uh, the very early days, We've, we design all of our drug delivery devices for self-administration. That's sort of one key principle behind it. The other is that the formulation work that Iowa State is developing is designed for room temperature stable use. It doesn't have to be cold chained. That's one of the big issues right now is if the vaccines have to be cold chained, they become much more expensive and much more difficult to store and transport. Those two things really combine together. And, and the, the, the reason that it is room temperature is because it's in a powder form. It's not a liquid vaccine, right? And so the project that we're working on is a powder formulation that's room temperature stable and be self-administered into the nose. That is just fascinating to me because I had not really thought myself about the deployment other than the fact that they talk about how many hundred million vaccines you're going to have to have and some require two separate inoculations. But in a time like this, I don't want to have to stand in line. I don't want to have to make an appointment. I don't want to run the risk of contagion from others where simply I can get a package, follow the instructions, do it in the privacy of my own home, and I can really imagine the distribution just is exponentially more efficient. Much faster, right? You can put it in the mail, <laughs> right? It shows up in your mail. You can deliver it by drone. You can, you know, roll into a Walgreens or a Target or, a, you know, your favorite pharmacy and pick it up and take it home and do it. There are several other sort of interesting advantages to nasally administered vaccines. So there's a lot of clinical data out there that shows that flu vaccines have been more sort of expansively tested for this. But uh, if you go get an injection, an injectable flu vaccine, it takes about two weeks for your body to develop full systemic immunity. But there's a fair amount of data, and this is something that we're working on now with this particular COVID vaccine, but there's a lot of evidence that shows that a nasally administered vaccine, the onset of systemic immunity is substantially faster, 24 to 48 hours. So you reduce the, you know, the risk of uh, that sort of lag time for when your body builds immunity. The other advantage is that 
the route of infection of COVID is the upper respiratory tract. You typically breathe it in. And when a nasal vaccine generates local immunity in the upper respiratory tract very quickly, within hours, right? So you're inoculating the body against uh, the potential for infection along the route of exposure very quickly. So you're not a doctor, I'm not a doctor, but it makes perfect sense that if this area, right, the nasal passages, if that is an area where you are more susceptible to contract the disease, if that is where the inoculation, for lack of a better phrase, is going first, it just seems to make sense that you are taking care of the area that is most susceptible and therefore would have much greater response, much greater efficiency and uh, positive. More rapid, uh, yes, much more rapid response to an an important component. One of the other big advantages is in thinking about sort of these larger strategic aspects is think about the biohazard that's created by 300 million needles. So you have post inoculation using syringes, you generate a really large volume of biohazardous sharps. And there are lots of known, you know, issues with proper disposal of those, proper and safe disposal of those. And with a nasal delivery system, you don't have any of that. Almost all of the businesses that I have started have had a substantial socially beneficial impact. And this one, that was a significant part of the motivation, you know, for doing what we're doing now. And it isn't just me, but I have a team of people that have been with me in this effort for more than a decade. And we've been through lots of ups and downs together, but everybody is sort of motivated by the same drivers, which is to innovate, you know, and push the envelope and solve problems in new ways and to have positive social impact. And that's a key part of what makes us get up every day and, you know, come to work. Timothy Sullivan, president of Zateo Biomedical, which is partnering with the Nano Vaccine Institute at Iowa State University and with the University of Iowa on a fast track project expected to be completed by the end of the year. We spoke via Zoom on Wednesday, November 18th. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. You'll also find podcasts of full interviews with many of the folks you hear on this program. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, including Apple, Google, and iHeart. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week and a safe Thanksgiving holiday. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. Follow ABI on Twitter at IowaABI and online at iowaabi.org.